You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse, Earful of Dirt is the only podcast dedicated to Major League Rugby. Now, coming to you live from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live, Earful of Dirts, lineouts, episode 19, and I've got Rob Hoadley, head coach of San Diego Legion, and let's just talk a little bit about his resume, uh, former Wasp defense coach, Welsh under-20s defense coach, Ryko Rams defense coach, Stanford University defense coach, San Diego Breakers assistant, former London Irish, and London Wasp center. Is that about, did I, did I miss anything? No, I think that's all in there. Yeah, done a good job. So, um, how are you doing today, Rob? Great, mate. Yeah, we just finished uh, a good day of practice. We're getting ready for Houston at the weekend. So, um, we're just coming to the tail end of the week. We'll have captain's run tomorrow and then away we go Saturday. Awesome. So, you're from London, right? Correct. Uh, what, what, little, uh, what little spot exactly? Uh, born in Hammersmith in West London and then I, I stayed around there all my life. I was lucky enough to play for London Irish as I was growing up and then um, and then made my debut for them professionally when I was 19 and then moved to Wasps when I was 24. So always around the same sort of areas of London and very proud to represent those two clubs. Um, so you, you said you played for London Irish growing up, but where did you like really begin playing rugby? Yeah, I started there when I was five years old, actually. <laughs> so yeah, I, had to lie, I had to lie about my age to get a game because you're meant to be six. So I had to tell them I was six. And then uh, I had a bit too much energy. So my parents took me down there to um, get rid of some of the energy and probably get beaten up by bigger boys. Uh, and then just loved it. And then that was our second home, really. My family was that round there. My family's all uh, sort of, my mum's side's all Irish. And uh, so there was a group of us that just really grew up there from under sevens all the way through to under 18s. And uh, actually, I think four guys that started in the under sevens team ended up playing professionally for, for London Irish. Oh, wow. Pretty incredible. Nice. Did you play any other sports? Yeah, played everything, mate, just like any other kid running around. Obviously, in England, we love soccer. Um, so it's kind of like soccer on a Saturday and, uh, and rugby on a Sunday. I can only dream of that these days. Oh, wow. That's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Like, especially, I mean, in this country, we get to specialization so early. Yeah. So, I mean, that would yeah. be, I, I mean, awesome. I think, yeah, it, 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 well, it's kind of, uh, with everything, you know, money comes into it and you specialize younger, but I think, I think kids actually benefit so much from getting a broad array of skills and challenges. Um, and it's incredible. I think the basketball players are the best athletes for crossing over because um, they, you know, they're playing offense, defense, great hand-eye, uh, great, great speed, agility, power, and you see the guys that have played, you know, three years college uh, basketball and then play tight end in the NFL. Um, yeah. And I think that I think that's great. I, I would encourage all kids to. Well, to I, 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 so I talked to what you're talking about basketball players. I talked mm. to anyone who's looking to recruit the next best lock for the Eagles or now for this league. You yeah. you want to rec- you have San Diego State right there so you know you go look at the small forwards the power forwards who are you know six seven six eight well they're playing you know fluid another fluid motion sport and they're elite athletes on scholarship that's 
you know, give him a couple years, bring him in. Um, you know, if he picks up the playbook and how to do it. I completely agree with you. I think the key thing, like you said, it's such a fluid sport and they're playing transitions. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, obviously a lot of people concentrate on uh, the football uh, guys. They're great athletes. But uh, from what I've seen, the, the basketball guys is like a, a really unmined talent, talent pool there. Um, so it could be something you see over the coming years. I think that, you know, rugby is becoming more and more attractive proposition now as people see a, a realistic pathway to a career. Um, and now that's our job, you know, with the MLR. To, to get the word out there and create a product that people want to be involved in. So you signed a professional contract in, in 99. Um, that was just, you know, I guess entering the fifth year of professionalism. What was that period um, growing up like in the London Irish Academy and then signing at the beginning? Well, it was the Wild West, mate, really. There was nothing set up. No one really knew what they were doing. There was no direction. And, uh, you know, the first thing that when our when our squad came in here, um, we just wanted to give them uh, a bit of inside information and foundation on the beginnings of professionalism. And, you know, it was only, you know, 25 years ago. It's not long been a professional sport. And back in those days, the facilities, the crowds, um, you know, when you look back, it's surprising how amateurish it was because all we know now is what we see in Europe and the Super Rugby. So... Now we regularly see in the Premiership, we see 70,000, 80,000 uh, people in beautiful stadiums for regular season games. Uh, if you'd have said that 10 years ago, people might have said you're crazy. Uh, so it's really important to see where we've come from, how quickly the game has changed and uh, the, how quickly the potential it is for it to change here in America because we're actually building into a, a sports uh, landscape with so much longer history of professional sport so the facilities, uh, I think the knowledge in terms of the S&C staff, uh, the athletic trainers, everything like that, we've got the opportunity to build very, very quickly here. So we, we just wanted to give our players a taste of where rugby had come from and what, what it had grown to uh, around the world. So, you know, back then when you when you were with London Irish, you guys won uh, an Anglo-Welsh Cup there and, you know, you end up winning, I think, two with Wasps, right? Um, but what, how would you... I know how the Anglo-Welsh Cup is talked about now, but how would you describe that back then? Yeah, well, we won with the Power Gem with London Irish was like the English Cup. So you have the English League and the English Cup. So that, that, was, that was a separate thing. Back then, there were the two big things with the English Cup, uh, the English League and the English Cup. Uh, and then Europe, obviously, was growing. So that cup was, was pretty awesome from a London Irish team that really had never challenged for those kind of honours uh, before. We had an amazing uh, management team. Uh, and Gary Gold was part of that, in fact, that is now the USA coach. Um, and they really took it by force of personality, those coaches, and they created a squad out of nothing. So that was an amazing experience. Uh, and then with Wasps, yeah, we won the Anglo-Welsh Cup, I think one or two of the my first five years there. Um and yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was great experience to win that. You know, I, I think it's the significance of it has diminished with European, uh, the significance of the European Cup and then the, the domestic leagues. Uh, but, uh, you know, listen, it's like, it's like anything. Why do we play sport? It's for memories. Uh, and that was an amazing memory for all of us involved and the players. And, um, and anytime you get a chance to win a competition like that, you know, it's, uh, it's inspirational for the for, for the rest of your career and for your fans. So it's something to be cherished. So while you were at 
Irish, you started at uh, university at University of Surrey. Uh, so how were you able to, you know, work on your bachelor's and, you know, you, you did it in four years between uh, Irish and Wasps. So how were you able to do that while playing professional rugby? Yeah. So again, like you say, you know, what was, what was professional rugby back then? Well, we didn't really know. So uh, to me, I had the opportunity to go to university um, and I felt, you know, we weren't on big money then and we didn't know where rugby was going to go. So for me, it was really important to have that uh, background given the opportunity. Um, so I managed, it, it was a three year course and I, I took an extra year to finish. I did some uh, part-time uh, lectures and some of my lecturers were very kind and sort of, basically saw me privately to catch me up. Um, and, uh, you know, I look back and I'm very proud of combining those things. And it's something you see more and more in the game now where teams are actually um, enforcing their players to have, Saracens in particular, you, you have to have a business interest or a, a, a course that you're studying on to show that you're holistically growing yourself as a person because they, they see how important it is for that side to affect the player. You know, we went through, again, that first few years of professionalism, that young guys, they turn up, they expect a pay packet, they go home, they play on computers or, you know, they, they don't do anything particularly constructive with their time. Those first wave of guys that retired, having only known professional rugby, they didn't have enough money to live on after that. And they didn't really have a skill set that was going to um, equip them for the real world. So I think we've definitely seen a, a change in thinking there. And I think it's awesome now that young guys uh, are looked after on and off the field uh, to build the whole person. It definitely plays back into being a success on the field. So you moved to Wasps in 2004. Um, you know, Irish and Wasps historically have been rivals. Was there any bad blood with the move or just in general, like you could change your colors and it was just time to get after it and go after the other side again? No, no, it took a while to settle in, I can tell you. <laughs> I, I think when I turned up, there were a few people not too happy to see me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've heard a few stories since, actually, that we, we used to go on training camp to Poland. It was it, these brutal, horrible training camps. And, uh, no, I've heard a few stories that guys were not too pleased to see me there. But uh, it all worked out in the end. They're a gr great group of lads. And, uh, yeah, I just had, had an amazing few years at the club. So you guys won the Premiership twice uh during that time well, yeah. what was needed to do that um well i mean it started again i say you know i talk about london irish with the coaching staff and I, it's the same at was we had uh, warren gatland uh and sean edwards um the likes of leon holden and uh, craig dowd was coaching for a while there and and also our s and c staff you know our s and c staff were for sure trailblazers in the English premiership. And, uh, I think we were conditioned way ahead of the pack. Um, and, uh, you know, we were just, we were just prepared. We, we were, our, our trait was to peak for the right time in the season. So we, you know, in, in those years that we won the premiership, we never finished first in the league. In fact, we finished quite a way behind the leaders on, a, on those occasions, but we were peaking physically for the end of the season. That's something I've learned, certainly learned a lot from. Um, and look, at the end of the day, we had an amazing roster. You know, we have real, real big-time players. Um, and it was incredible. With all that whole environment, you just went into the big games and you just had no doubt we were going to win. It was an amazing feeling. In the in the midst of, you know, that period, you guys also won a Heineken Cup. Um, so what separated the work around that 
And why is uh, winning, you know, Heineken Cup or now European Championship different from the Premiership? Yeah, the Heineken Cup is an unbelievably special competition. It, it's incredible. Every time, every year the fixtures come out, you're looking for who's in your pool, where are you going to be travelling to? You know, you're, you're going to real hostile environments and, you, you know, it's just the place you can test yourself. And, and the interesting thing is, it is a step up from the Premiership and it's almost a bridge between the Premiership and international rugby. But the difference between European rugby and international rugby is you're playing with your mates that you've been with all year and you're playing at such a fast pace and you know the systems that it's a kind of different where obviously you, you go into camp with England or, or whoever your team is and you know it's an amazing group of players but you've got a shorter time to learn the systems and implement the systems. So it's it's kind of a, a hybrid. International rugby is still faster. If you you know if you speak to people that have played both, international rugby is the pinnacle. But it's just a different element that you're playing at that pace, but with your mates that you've been with all year. Um, and it was just it, it was just an unbelievable competition. Um, and uh, yeah, very privileged to play. You know, to play at Thoman Park in front of a massive crowd there, um, and to travel around Europe. It was it was incredible. So would you prefer the, the European championships were played after the premiership season and those standings from the premiership contributed towards qualification? Because for, for me, I, I always look at this, you know, game management, minutes management on players mm -hmm. that you kind of have to shorten the overall season yeah. like on the body. Yeah, I mean, listen, however they do it, I, I mean, this is, you know, a step ahead of your question. But I, you know, it's radical, but I still think you've got to look at making rugby a summer sport in Europe. I, I mean, like there's so many elements to it. You, you, you could then, you could chunk the those, those tournaments. You could have a, a, an international season that corresponds. Also, like the premiership in the winter isn't that entertaining. A lot of games, you know, that's, that's the truth of it. In the summer, the Premiership is unbelievable. It's amazing. So every year we try and change the rules and say, how are we going to score more tries? Well, guess what? In the summer, there's a drier ball. The players get tired quicker. The game is amazing. It doesn't need any changes. So uh, listen, there's a, there's a lot of different elements around that. But I'd, I, I would certainly look into that uh, as a solution. Now then also, we do need to shorten the season because what's happening with players is, is ridiculous. And lengthening the season, it's such a short-term uh, policy. Uh, and let's make more money for playing more games. But it's not the way forward. If you look at um, even something like international cricket, there's so much cricket on. I don't know what's important anymore. There's international cricket all the time. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like they see a, a cash cow, but then it's like, I don't know what's relevant, so I'm not going to spend my money on any of it. You can turn people off. So I think we've got to be very careful how we do it. In order to protect the product and create the best product, we need to look after the players as a priority. That's a that's that's in line with how I think for sure. <laughs> so uh, while while you were at Wasps, you transitioned to an assistant role. Um, what made you decide to get into coaching? I wasn't very good at playing, mate. So I didn't have much choice at that stage. I was getting up. I actually had a, I had a few problems with my head. Um, uh, so it was like. Um, I just I was getting a lot of migraines and and, and struggles. So it, to be honest, I couldn't rely on my head to get through games, and uh, and kind of like the 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 staff knew it. Uh, you know, um, Sean Edwards in particular is a great mentor of mine, and um, 
I think he recognised that I was really struggling, and uh, and he was the one that said he basically got me into coaching. Uh, and uh, in fact, that you know, I was very very lucky. They created a job for me. It wasn't like I applied for a job or asked them. Sean just said uh, he he wanted me to help him. Um, and so, as I say, they they created a job for me, and uh, and basically he took me under his wing, and it was just an unbelievable uh, education. You know, during that time period, you uh, had the opportunity. Um, to become the Wales under 20 defense coach. What was that setup like? Yeah, that was amazing as well. So obviously Warren uh, Gatlin was the Wales coach. He'd left Wasps. So he invited me to to go and help out with the under 20s. So yeah, I mean, it was full on. So I'm still actually playing that first year. I was still playing at Wasps. I was coaching a local club, Ealing Trailfinders. Uh, I was coaching at Wasps. And then I was driving and coaching in Wales as well. So it was a full-on year. Um, and I reckon, you know, I did that for two years and I reckon I probably got four years of worth of coaching experience in two years. Um, and I worked with Phil Davis there in um, in Wales. And again, it was it was another amazing experience because you're going, uh, you're learning about, it's a very different thing, learning about how to prepare for, for international competitions in terms of going away for long periods. Uh, and it's a very different dynamic. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was a great uh, grounding then of learning the international game, which is different from the club game. Um, and within that, I, I, you know, I, I used I could get access to going to training with the Wales full squad, and uh, you know, I went with them to the uh, Wales New Zealand game uh, as part of their their group. So there were some great opportunities, and with everything in life, you know, you just take the learning out of it. So it, you know, it was a great time for me. So was it? Because of your times with Welsh under twenties, that you moved on to become the Wasps defense coach, or did that become part of a an overall plan during that well, period yeah, of time? Yeah, in that in that period, then at the end of that period, Sean moved to do Wales full time because he was doing a bit of Wales and Wasps. Uh, so then, when he moved to do Wales, then basically I I then basically took his job at uh, Wasps as just a natural sort of uh, natural progression. Awesome. So you, you left Wasps uh, in 2012 uh, to coach the defense of the Ryko Black Rams in the top league. Can yep. you describe that, you know, setup and what was the overall experience? Unbelievable. Like, uh, yeah, it was very, very interesting because you, you can get, you get very, very blinkered about your rugby experience and think the premiership is the, the be all and the end all. And basically if you're fighting as your ambition for a kid all through your life, to play in the premiership, it, it is the, the whole world to you. Um, and I've spoken to a few people, you know, really rug, experienced rugby people and to get their views on, you know, my next move. And uh, a few people just said uh, broadening your horizons is just the best thing you can do. You know, we were speaking earlier about playing different sports, but I remember Alex King had moved from Wasps to uh, coach at Clermont in France. And Clermont really at the time were, then became one of the best teams in, in Europe. And he said he... He kind of thought he had the answers at Wasps because we've been so so successful. But uh, anytime you really think you've got the answers sewn up in rugby, I think you'll get a kick in the uh, backside. And he said that going away and learning a whole another approach that was successful just um, made him ten times better coach. So I just saw a different um, opportunity and another way to learn. And uh, Japan was certainly that. It was a complete contrast culturally. Um, and what it forced you to do was rethink everything you did because you couldn't take for granted the knowledge or the uh, 
the 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 playing base that any player had. You basically had to go through everything you knew and break it all down so you could explain exactly the reasoning why you believed in it. Um, and that was actually a great learning process because you know there was a few things in rugby you think you can take for granted, but there you had to question everything you did and then build it back up to explain uh, another level. So it was an unbelievable experience actually. So what did you enjoy most about Japan in general? Um, I, th- I Well, I'd have to say, you're saying in general, I always come back to rugby. But, but in terms of rugby, um, Stephen Larkin was there. as uh, So the great Aussie uh, fly half, who also is an unbelievable coach at the Brumbies and now Australia. He was there. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he, I've worked with some amazing coaches, but he was unreal. Like his, just his approach, he was so calm, the way he thought through things. Uh, uh, and his connection with the players. So that was my favourite thing from the time there. Um, I guess you might be asking for some funny stories away from rugby, but I mean, it was pretty much, <laughs> it was pretty much rugby all the time. I claim, I claim. Well, this goes into, are you into sushi or whale or? No whale. No, 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 no. I'm not getting committed to that in public. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> it was taking in the local culture and it was awesome to be there with local guys, obviously that could show you another side of it rather than just being a tourist. Um, yeah, like I said, we climbed Mount Fuji, which was just unbelievable experience. We could see Mount Fuji from our training field on a nice blue sky day, so uh, th- that was awesome. Uh, and yeah, it was just we we travel around on on the the uh, Shinkansen, the bullet train that goes about two hundred miles an hour. That was amazing. And then you go to some of the old towns and see the old style of living. And then Tokyo itself was just absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, it's an unreal country. It's the, the contrast there between the old style of living and the new, uh, is, uh, it's amazing. And it's unlike anywhere I've ever been. Did you ever sumo wrestle? We went to the sumo wrestling and the, the best, most famous sumo wrestler there was like this little small Hungarian dude who was like half the size of all the others. It was very, and then you, you see him walking down the road and everyone's trying to get his autograph and photos with him and he's just walking like with these guys that are like three times the size of him it was very bizarre (laughs) he had some technique yeah so what do you think about like japanese rugby in general how would you describe uh not not the top league i would say but just let's say that the culture how it's set up structured beyond the professional side um well, a lot of it, the, the, the basis of a lot of rugby in uh, Japan is the university system. Uh, and, you know, they get big crowds out for the university system. Now, it's, you know, it's a little bit, um, the way it's run is not necessarily performance-based, a lot of it. They, you know, they, they bring a lot of foreign coaches into the top league and obviously try and trickle that down. But it's, it's stuck in the past in, in, in many ways, just in their approach to training. Um, but what they have got is a great base of those universities. They're going to, they've got a huge playing base. I think if you look at the, the, the most players in the world, it's like England, France, South Africa, America and Japan are up there, I, I think. Um, so that's quite interesting. Uh, and again, they have a pathway. They have a pathway to a professional career. But the top league, a lot of the players actually work for the company. So our company was Rico that make cameras and photocopiers and all the rest of it. And so mo- a lot of the players work for Rico and then they come and play rugby for Rico. So it's, it's not like they're just professional rugby players. 
So um, it's it's a, it's a strange blend because you have that and then you have some of the best foreigners in the world, like Sonny Bill Williams was playing for Panasonic when I was there um, and Marnon who played for uh, Rico. Um, so it's just a really, really interesting blend. But uh, I think the key for them was uh, that they gave uh, Eddie Jones such control between the World Cups, obviously culminating in the, in the victory over South Africa. Um, and Eddie's um, success there came from creating a style of play that suited the Japanese style. They played ultra fast, is what he did with Suntory, his team there. Ultra fast rucks, moving the opposition, um, and just great continuity. Um, and uh, so Eddie, Eddie got his his key was he had a lot of contact time with that Japan team. He took them up to the mountains to altitude, and he just drilled them for four years at what he wanted them to get good at. And they had such an identity of what they were good at that after four years, he took players that maybe shouldn't have competed with South Africa individually, um, but they had the game plan, the fitness and the application to get the result. And I think, unfortunately, in USA rugby, it's something, it's a trick that we've missed because we keep changing between World Cups and we don't have that continuity. And we can't yeah. say, we can't hang a hat on the peg and say, this is our style. This is what we're going to get better at over four years. I think, uh, you know, not to get too far down that, I think, we we do need to develop whatever our I guess our style is and sort of stick to that overall. And you know we're what are what are we uh, as Americans? We're we're big, we're fast, and we're big, right? So that's I, I, so to me. I, I want to see like just mutants up front and mm. mutants in the back line. Like that's. That's how. That's what I think of. Yeah, and but I say more than that. Super fast. Yeah, I say more than that. We're we're very very good in the air. Look at the USA Sevens team; they're the best in the air, which is a huge part of the modern game. Not just big, but really explosive. So it's not just carrying straight, but it's it's attracting two defenders, then getting getting offload skills as well to to move the defense apart, uh, the defense around. So, listen, there's. Many ways to skin a cat in, in rugby, but I think for us to really have success at the top level, we have to... Gary's in there now. Gary's a great guy. Let's give him time to say, this is how I want to play and develop young men that in four years, they're going to be world beaters at that style. Because every time I go back to USA camp, I'm seeing guys that are real international class players now, but they just need, they just need to be in the same system to be challenging. Because there's guys there now that have been in the camp and they've been good, good professionals for a number of years, especially these young forwards that you see coming through. So I just think they need to be directed for, for a, a decent amount of period of time. And I think we could really make impacts. Awesome. Do you, do you see any similarities between, uh, I guess, the Japanese uh, rugby setup and uh, what you see in the States the last four years? Uh, not really, but there are, there are obviously, but just cause it's through the companies in Japan, it's so unique. So that, that you work for the company, you play for the company. Whereas here, I think, so you, you're, you're so in some ways restricted by what you can do right now here. I think we have a blank canvas and we can create what we want. So we can take the best from out around the world of rugby. We can also combine it with the best, as I say, of the USA sports environment. Now that creates a very, very interesting landscape. Um, so, for instance, here at San Diego, we're lucky enough to train at uh, the Exos training facility, which is, you know, got to be one of the best 
rugby training facilities in the world. Uh, our, our S&C staff, Roy Holmes and uh, Hank Dembrowski, are unbelievable. Uh, so what they can create with the players uh, maybe isn't available in other parts of the world. And, you know, in Japan, it's a different thing. So I think Japan's unique and I think uh, the American rugby landscape is unique as well. Um, and as I say, I think it's very, very exciting where we can go. If you look at the Utah game the other day, Utah v Glendale in uh, Rio Tinto Stadium, that was an unbelievable event put on by Utah. There's 9,000 people there in a beautiful stadium. There's not many places around the world of rugby that you see 9,000 people for a pre-season state, uh, game in a beautiful stadium like that. So when did you make the decision to immigrate to the States? Um, well, I've been here four years now. and In fact, whilst I was at Rico, I was um, I had it had it in mind because I've always you know I've, I love America, I love the American attitude, I love the American sports attitude of we will find a way. So even if you look at the soccer team, and I know they get criticised sometimes, they've had their ups and downs, but they've done better at soccer World Cups in the last sixteen years than England have. Even with all the history in England, American sports find a way to win. So I love that attitude, um, and I just uh, thought that to come over here and be part of creating something that you can put your own name to is just an unbelievable challenge. And like I say, a unique opportunity in the world of rugby where, you know, if you stay in England or Europe, you can move from club to club. You're kind of doing the same things over and over again. Whereas here I see, you know, the opportunity to be a pioneer and part of part of our group here is to do that. It's, uh, it's one that, um, I just thought it was the most exciting uh, opportunity available. So how did you get to Stanford and what was coaching at Stanford like? Well, I knew uh, the head coach, Matt Sherman, who's a, who's a great guy and a great American coach. He'd, he'd been over to England with uh, the All-Americans and I'd done some guest coach, coaching with him. And then we all stayed in contact. So I'd go and do, uh, you know, even in my off-season from Japan, I'd go over to Stanford and help him out. Uh, and then again, we just cre- he, he, we created the opportunity there um to go and join him i'm very grateful to the uh, board there at stanford uh, they're very supportive um and that was a, a great way to get onto the american rugby scene and learn a bit about what was going on at a, a, a local level and uh stanford obviously uh, is, i don't know if you've been there but it's an unbelievable campus it's a beautiful place so i was lucky enough to uh, to work with the stanford team for two and a half years so how, how did coaching with the breakers come about? Uh, what do you think of that experience? Yeah, I mean, we were literally we were just having a chat earlier. I mean, we learned so much. So uh, myself uh, and Matt Hawkins were obviously <clears throat> involved here at the breakers and are sta- uh, here now with the Legion. And also, as I said, Roy and Hank, our, our conditioning coaches, they were involved as well. And uh, it just puts us in such a great position to learn the lessons from, from that and move forward. And uh Listen, uh, if it wasn't for that, uh, we might not have this incarnation of, of professional rugby in America. So I think we've got a, a lot to be uh, grateful for. So how long did it take uh, you to accept Matt's offer to coach the Legion? Well, in fact, we've been in touch you know, throughout. So it wasn't really like there was ever a break between uh, Breakers and Legion. Matt has done so much work here in San Diego and he's done so much for the rugby community at a grassroots level through to professional level that he, he, you know, he was ready. If ever there's going to be a professional league, he has been working on the setup here uh, to step into whatever league 
that is we we've got the product here ready so me and matt have always known that we've always been ready for our opportunity and working uh working on how we're going to uh put together the legion um franchise um so even in the time when we weren't playing we were always working on on on, on improving our uh, our systems for for this new incarnation of the mlr so let's let's get into coaching a little bit so you're a defense coach, but I'm going to ask you a little bit about offense first. So what yeah. kind of attack shapes do you like to run? And what's your base? Well, again, without getting into too much uh, detail, Aaron, because I know you've told me you're going to dig for it. Listen, everything starts – so whatever system you play, we'll talk gen- generically, obviously. It starts from set piece. You include, obviously, your restarts in your set piece. Okay, so then you can – with that uh, platform, you can get your field position – and then if you're getting great field position, then you can force uh, another team into errors and they're going to give you the best counter, counter-attack ball. So whatever your system is based on, I would, you know, you've got to look at where are the most tries scored from, how you're going to generate that kind of ball, and then where you're going to find your dominance over the other team. So it could be physical dominance, as you say, you know, the American, uh, you, you want to see big, strong American runners, or it could be finding space and through speed. So there's going to be there's going to be dominance for you somewhere. So it's finding that dominance, asserting it, and then uh, finishing your opportunities. So for us, we build our game plan around who, how do you find the most success in, uh, on the field? And this, you know, obviously there's a lot of research into what's what's the best opportunities to score your tries. So we'll do that. Then we recruit according to the style we want to play, um, and you'll see. You know, we'll have a we'll have a pretty pretty uh, forceful type five that can create us opportunities, and uh, we've got a lot of great decision makers with great vision in our back line that can give us great field position and then find the space when it when we create it. So now you're going to make me watch film to go, hey, they're using the one three two two or the one three three one or the two four two or a hybrid or or pure hybrid system like the All Blacks, which is the one six one. Is that re- is that what you're going to make me do? Two, four, three. Just chuck an extra player on. Gives you an advantage, but you know, there you go. You got to find it where you can. There you go, mate. Was I generic enough for you? In oh um, yeah, that was, without giving too I much mean, away. That, that, I mean, that definitely uh, says a lot about philosophy. Uh, so uh, analyze where you're going to find the space, create the space, and attack. So for sure, mate. And we, you know, obviously we've we've got a. We've got a lot of very exciting players here, but uh, you know it's how we how we manipulate the defence and get them into space, and then how we execute to finish within that space. So, for defence, what kind of system and shape do you like? Um, we're seeing, I'm seeing because I watch, I, I probably watch the second most film of the rugby media in the MLR. I'm seeing a lot of blitz defences. Yeah, sure. Well, listen, it's no secret. I mean, as if you look through my. The, you know who my coaching uh, mentors have been is Brendan Venter at London Irish, who's gone on to, you know, he's b- played a big part with South Africa, Italy recently, um, and then obviously Sean Edwards, who's you know two, they're two of the best defensive coaches in the world. They're both aggressive guys. They both have an aggressive style of defence. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously I, I, I favour line speed to get in the face, but listen, every team does. So every team does in, in, in the right situations. Uh, you've got to be flexible. Uh, you've got to get your setups right in the first place. Like I said, it starts from your same as attack, starts from your, your set piece setups. 
um, and then how you're getting into your phase play, uh, where you're getting your strongest position defenders in their strongest positions. And then if you get the opportunity at the right time, then you can bring the line speed and try and trap the uh, opposition behind the gain line. Obviously try and challenge their rucks uh, and create that turnover ball that you want to play off. So you guys have had one preseason game, achieved victory. Uh, you know, what kind of, has that provided the data that you guys desired from that match? Yeah, listen, like, like I've said before, it, it really wasn't about, uh, the result wasn't the main thing there. Okay, obviously we, we want to win. Uh, but we just wanted to te- test out, like, are we applying the things that we've been training? Um, and, we, you know, we got good feedback. And, and, and basically, there's a lot to work on, as always. Anyone will tell you after the first game. But it's, it's, it's great to have that starting point uh, and to have um, those visuals on, on, on showing the players, okay, this is why we're working on these things. This is where we think, our, as I say, our dominance can be if we get things right. Uh, and I think it gave the, gr- uh, the, the players a great picture of why we've built our game plan uh, like we have and what they need to do to really maximize it. Lots of details to clean up. So what adjustments have you guys made to the scrum following the Austin match? Well, uh, we've uh, Chris uh, Cracknell, our forwards coach, uh, is th- doing a great job. He's, we've actually brought in a, a few uh, guys to add, add to the competition. Uh, he's taken extra live sessions uh, this week. Uh, obviously, we know that Houston will be coming with, uh, you know, a real strong challenge this weekend that, you know, that they've had a lot of time together, which we, we haven't had. That's just the reality of it. Um, so we got in some extra tra- training sessions there this week. Um, and we're very excited about what our type five can produce this weekend. Going into this match uh, against Houston, you know, what are this, what are some of the things that you're looking to evaluate? Well, one of the biggest things that you've mentioned is, is the set piece. We need to improve there because, uh, Without that, we're not going to have a platform. I think um, against Houston, you've got to look at your kick chase uh, with the threats they've got. Obviously, Zach uh, Pangelinian at the back, Josh Vichy. Um, then you've got, you know, the halfbacks are, are threats on the ball, very experienced. Um, so, again, it's, 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 it's things that we've been practising, but it's nice to then have a real opponent where it's like, okay, this is why we're practicing it because we've got to we've got to be on our we've got to be on our metal against these threats coming against us. Um, but one of the big things will be the set piece, and then another will be uh, will be the kick chase and the integrity of our line. Do you see Nate Augsburger shifting a lot between scrum half and the blindside wing, as he's done with the Eagles, or is he your uh, is he your nine? Yeah, he's a nine for us. We don't really see him switching. He's you know he's our captain. Uh, and he's been captain of USA from both nine and wing, which is pretty impressive. I mean, it speaks volumes of the, the of the bloke that he, he can do those both roles because they're so different. Um, but for us, he needs to keep working on his core skills. Uh, he's becoming a, a very, very good international player. But to become a great international player, he needs time uh, building on his fundamentals because under pressure, they need they need to improve. And we're looking at him being one of the better nines in world rugby. That's what he needs to aspire to be. Then he needs the time uh, at nine. So, um, listen, there's no ruling out in a pinch, something like that. He, he goes out to wing to cover, but we see him as our nine. He's our man, and uh, he'll be leading the team from there. Matt said you guys were 
we're bringing in some players. I know you told me you're not going to tell me who, but um, well, you can tell that, me who, Aaron. You can tell me who because you've been doing your digging. <laughs> that um, well, uh, I think you should bring in Jed Gillespie from on back because I think he's of the tight head props in the PRP. I think he's the yeah. top one. Uh, to be honest, I've watched a lot of PRP and his fundamentals uh, in in the scrum and set piece are there and uh, his ball carrying skills. I mean, I, I think he scored like four prop tries. So, yeah. I mean, uh, he can score for you if you want him. There you go. On the radar. We'll put him on the wing then. <laughs> I've uh, I've done that before. I, I, I don't want to be on the wing as a front rower. Sorry. <laughs> No. Okay. Yeah. We'll. we'll, uh, we'll... He's on the radar. Then. Yeah. Come on. You. I, I like your recruitment list here. Now I'm getting ideas. <laughs> so. Um. Let's see. Uh. You got Brendan Daly up at uh, San yeah. Francisco Golden Gate. Yeah, he's doing uh, very well just, with the Eagles. Just got. Just got capped as an Eagle lock. Yeah. Uh, and well. then you've got a. I would say, and then you've got a loose head hanging out. Uh. At number four for Life West in Hulu Hollow Mongoloa yeah. instead of uh, you know playing Lucid for his club. And then there's another Life West guy who I want to see in an MLR jersey. Uh, Sam McGuffey, Olympian bobsledder, coming back to rugby. Uh, the two games I've seen him play, uh, the first one, it was his first game in like four years since Pro failed. Um, yeah. And I didn't see him much. And then he started the next game and his acceleration, his ball handling, it was, it was like it. I mean, he's, he was a very good high school football player and he's a world-class athlete. The way he handles the ball um, and the way he attacks a, a ruck when he doesn't have the ball, he's like a flanker, but he's 5'11", 200 pounds and blazing fast. So those would yeah, well, be the guys who are hanging around California, I would add. I'd say you should get on the payroll for someone then and uh, with your recommendations, <laughs> all that research. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting time, I think, after the, after the membership com- concludes. Obviously, those guys uh, have their commitments there, so it's unfair to talk about anyone that's involved with a team there. Uh, but I'm sure you know any player that's doing well in that league uh, – Teams will be circling and and, and we'll, we'll be looking at bringing them in for to strengthen the their MLR squads. So uh, moving away from from well, I guess this this next one will be rugby related or it could be soccer related if if you're so into that. Um, Moldeds or studs? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I've moved to uh, out to California for a reason because I like the sun, so I'll have to say Moldeds. You can keep the studs <laughs> thing. I left I left them in London. No, <laughs> don't fancy any more rain. So, favorite San Diego tacos? Do you know what? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I haven't had any tacos here, I don't think. I don't think I've been to, to anywhere to specifically buy tacos. Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you one. Oh, please it's, do. Yeah. It's, it's good. Um, well, I, what's I yours? What... You, you're obviously, you, you've got, you've got uh, like a little uh, spice in your, in your tone there that you obviously know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've got... I think I've got San Diego tacos uh, down pat. Uh, I've got I've, uh, man. There's like I have in one weekend I had tacos three different places in San Diego. So I will send you 
my, I guess, comprehensive list on tacos. So Aaron San Diego Taco Tours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you will, uh, if you're disappointed, I'll have to come up with something else. But I think <laughs> I'm pretty pretty set on the these three. The the one that's right off the top of my head is called Wahoo Fish Tacos. It's a chain, but it's... Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very might, good. Yeah, it might have been there. But um, the other two I'll, I'll send you. Uh, but so... And then, um, you know, you, you spent time in the Bay and you spent time in San Diego, uh, Bay Area or San Diego? Uh, I think San Diego for me, I, I love it down here. I think the, uh, it's just a very relaxed place. I mean, everyone's just so friendly and, um, you know, obviously the scenery is amazing. Uh, San Francisco is a bit, you know, slightly different vibe. I love, I love it too, you know. I love uh, being able to dip in and out of a bit of city and a bit of a sort of more relaxed uh, sort of beach vibe. So anywhere in California, I, I, I'm, I think it's just a fascinating place, actually. Um, but the best thing I, I just think is the people, Aaron, you know, I think everyone's, everyone's so friendly and, um, and uh, they'll help you out in any way they can. And uh, I think, uh, you know, if you, can, if you can work hard here and, you, you know, you've got a good personality and get on with people, then you can achieve things. So I think it's an, an amazing place to, to live and, and make your living. So are you going to become a professional surfer? Uh, I'm a long way from professional. I, I, I'm maybe surfer a long way from professional. I just try and look good walking down the beach with my board, but it doesn't go well when I get in the water. <laughs> so I see the board in the background. Board in the background, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, how are you tracking your different players? Because there's three categories behind each name. So what is what is that? What do, what's the question? How would you mean? How am I? Tracking? So I, I mean, I, I see three columns behind each name on the board. So I'm guessing that's tracking different category, different things for each player, or it's just like they're here today. Do you want to get your glasses? Up. Do you want to get your glasses? <laughs> and I'll see if you can read what's on there. Uh, I mean, I, I see the I see names. I see like four fifteen. Then I see seventy. You know, it's like. Uh, either Bronco, one of those is probably Bronco times, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a better view for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, well, I, I think that about wraps it up, Rob. So uh, thanks for your time. And uh, I'll uh, definitely have to catch you down in San Diego sometime. Yeah, pleasure to speak to you, mate. Anytime you're down, yeah, we'll go for tacos. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. There you go. Uh, good luck this weekend against Houston. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're very excited. It's the first time we get to engage our, our fan base and our community. You know, we're, we're very proud of representing the community here. We just think uh, the SoCal rugby community is, as I say, one of the best in the country and uh, they deserve to have uh, this level of competition. And uh, we hope to make them proud and give them something long term that they can get behind. That's it for Earful of Dirt, Lineouts, episode 19. You can catch Earful of Dirt, the show, at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time, this next Monday. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us.